Welcome to this week's episode of Football Neophytes Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about fans back in the stadiums, uh, Manchester United with a good win, but Pogba drama following. Uh, on the flip side, we're going to talk a little bit about Wolves with a very hard, sad, demoralizing loss. Sheffield United with the worst start in Premier League history, the Sun Kane partnership, and the cream always rises to the top. Chris, Kyle, how you guys doing? Good, man. What's going on? Not much. What's happening? How many... I, this again. This has nothing to do with uh, what the rest of the world calls football. But how many episodes have we recorded while the 49ers are playing a football game? It is like an absurd amount. Like no other team has played as many games during the middle of a football neophytes recording as the 49ers. Yeah, this is the third or fourth, I think. Um, and it's it's because you guys went to the Super Bowl last year and you have all these primetime games and we record in primetime because we are a primetime pod. We are a primetime pod. That's right. I actually don't think we've won any of the games though. So that's a problem. <laughs> all losses. That That's a problem. That is a problem. Okay. Well, before we talk about matches themselves, fans have been allowed into a few stadiums. Um, I we watched the Wolves match this weekend. Kyle, you watched that match as well. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm not a Liverpool fan. I don't hate, I don't hate them. Um, I, there's actually a lot that I enjoy about that club, but uh, hearing the the 2000 fans sing belt out, you'll never walk alone at the beginning of that match was, was, exciting it was it was beautiful yeah. it was it was and even remarkable how loud it was like there was nothing being piped into that stadium and 2000 fans um it was it was it was loud it was it was very impressive um i think west ham west ham had fans there right chris yes they were actually the very first game to play that had fans back I just want to chat a little bit. We've got, it, I don't know what the situation's like in the UK totally, but in the US, our numbers are still skyrocketing. Um, I know that the UK has put in some, some measures in some extra measures in place. So I know their numbers aren't going down, but what do you guys think? Should, should fans be allowed in the stadium right now? It seems like an odd time to add fans to this, to the stadiums. It's certainly odd for us, like you said, <laughs> we are in an uncontrollable run right now, according to the CDC. Um, so it's weird staring across the pond and seeing fans come back, but yet we have fans in a lot of our American sports stadiums already as well. Um, I think one of the highlights for me was like turning on the, the Man United West Ham game and it's the first game where fans are back. And they go over the rules for fans being in the stadium. And there's basically three rules. You have to wear a mask. You're not allowed to sing too much and no hugging. And all three of those rules were broken <laughs> very early on. There's shots of the crowd of like this old guy ripping his mask off and like yelling at the goal and like waving his mask in the air, like a towel. And it was just like, Oh man, this is going to go well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for the atmosphere side side of things, it's, it's great to have fans back. It just, you wonder like, what are the, what are the ramifications of this going to be, you know, 10 days, two weeks down, down the road? Or will we see any, you know? Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, I'm not a, virus expert but i don't know that allowing a few thousand fans in is going to have a noticeable ripple effect it just seems like the optics are really weird to yeah. be doing right now 
and what's the point? I can't imagine that they're drawing that much revenue from 2000 tickets, um, especially given the optics that are negative in this sense. Yeah. I, th to me, you know, they've got the three, there's like three tiers that allow a certain amount of fans and I don't, I don't have them memorized. I just know that I think the, the, the cities that are allowed to have fans can have 2000 right now, which I think is the second tier. If you're a third tier team, which is the amount of COVID outbreaks in, in your town or wh where you're at with COVID, you can't have any. So Wolverhampton can't have any fans still where Liverpool, West Ham can. And I hearing, hearing you'll never walk alone being sung and even just the emotional uplift I got from that. Um, and that's not even my team. You do wonder, is there like a balance of play issue here where wolves have a super important home game coming up and they can't have fans and, but Liverpool can West Ham can Chris, uh, will there be fans at the Manchester Derby? Are, do you know off the top of your head? I do not know. So, I mean, I just, I wonder what the, if there are any ram, ramifications, um, what that will, how that plays out on the pitch. I do think, I do think fans matter. We've been saying they're, you know, what, what are the effects of the home, home field advantage without fans? Now I wonder, you got some, some clubs that get fans and some clubs that don't, and is that fair or equitable? I don't know. It kind of, it just is what it is <laughs> type of a thing. Like, I think they are just, you know, it doesn't generate a lot of revenue, especially because the, the teams have to sell the tickets at season ticket holder pricing. They can't mm. price gouge. The price gouging happens on the secondary market, um, which England actually does a pretty good job of regulating their secondary market, not to go into that side of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's three tiers, Nate. It's if you're in tier one, you can have up to 4,000 fans. If you have an outdoor stadium, 2,000 fans if you're indoor. Tier two is 2,000, 1,000. And then tier three is no fans allowed at all. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm trying to find who can and can't. Uh-huh. Which teams fall into uh, which ones? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I'm not so worried. The revenue isn't as big of a deal to me. I'm just curious if, if it'll affect teams that, that can have fans, if that gives them a little more of a, a home field edge compared to those who, who can't. Nate, having no fans there is not the reason you guys lost this week. Let's not try no, and blame that. No, I'm not talking, I'm not talking <laughs> about that. I just mean for, for future fixtures, like, yeah, yeah. yeah clearly, clearly it's not. Um, but <laughs> Well, let's talk about it, Kyle. Why don't you give this was your match of the week that you were focusing? You're focusing on Liverpool. Oh, Chris has something. Yeah. So uh, here's the Premier League tiers. Um, is this game? So Manchester is in tier three. So both Manchester squads are still in tier three. So there won't be any fans at that. Um, but the only places that can, Arsenal is a tier two. Brighton tier two, Chelsea tier two, Crystal Palace tier two, Everton tier two, Fulham tier two, Liverpool tier two, Southampton, Tottenham, West Ham tier two. Everyone else is a tier three. There's no one in a tier one right now. So it's basically like London, the yeah. teams in the South and Liverpool, it seems like are yep. the three, the three places that, that have fans. All right. Well, we've delayed the inevitable long enough. Um, <laughs> Kyle, tell us how fun it was to watch Liverpool this weekend and focus on them. Yeah, man. Well, I did a lot of watching Liverpool, got to see them score goals from every angle. And Wolf uh, scored. Wolf scored. <laughs> Nelson Semedo. Right. He Nelson yes. scored a goal. Yeah, which was curious. I I yeah, I was kind of a little bit surprised that they called that an own goal, but I guess it was. Um, I didn't notice it at first glance, but on the replay, it was a little bit clearer. Yeah, um, yeah they, they scored just in the wrong goal. Yeah. It was pretty one-sided affair. Um, you know, Liverpool got out to that early lead with the Mohamed Salah goal, which 
kind of an interesting factoid on that. It was his 84th in the Premier League, which equaled the amount that Cristiano Ronaldo scored during his Manchester United days. Um, but the stat here is actually that Salah needed just 131 matches to accomplish that, which is 65 fewer than Ronaldo needed to get 84. So, I mean, that to me, even as a neophyte, is really impressive. It just speaks to how good he is. And being the neophyte I am, everyone knows Cristiano Ronaldo. Everyone knows Messi. uh, Even other guys like Harry Kane. And those are big names. But Salah, to the world of neophytes, I don't think is as big of a name. And and maybe he deserves to be because he has been really, really good. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the most – I mean, I – would have to be fact-checked on this, but he's one of the most prolific goal scorers over the last three or four years yeah. with Liverpool. So certainly if you're new to the sport, you, and, and you're like, he's not, doesn't have that huge of a world name. And I think no. he, he's Egyptian. So even at the world stage, it's not like he's playing on a club in the world right. up. That's going to get a lot of recognition. So I think that probably plays a bit of a role as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so he scored early, and then from there, Liverpool was able to really just capitalize, score three more goals. It was a blowout. There was an interesting penalty in the box on Liverpool that was overturned by VAR. Um, I was curious what your thoughts were as a Wolves fan. Do you think that that was a good overturn? Yeah, it was the right call. I mean, I think I think on both sides it was the right call. Um there's no contact made with Cody. So there's no foul. Um, the, the alternative thing that you probably heard the commentators talk about is should Cody have been given a yellow card for, for diving, which I also yeah. think it was the right call not to because um, on that play, it Cody thinks he's going to get kicked. Like you see him kind of react back and then he, he goes to the ground. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you do it in slow motion, it looks like, well, one, you can clearly tell he's not kicked. So there's no penalty. And then two, I think it looks a little bit more like he's diving, but, um, but I don't, I don't think he was. And knowing Connor Cody's kind of character and the way he, he plays traditionally, he's not that type of a, it's not that type of a player to dive. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there are many more egregious uh, circumstances of people diving that don't get called for yellow cards. He was certainly anticipating impact didn't happen, but definitely not a, a, a dive. There's no, no reason he should have gotten the yellow card there. And if you want to actually, since we're on the topic of Mo Salah, if you want to talk about someone who is notorious at diving, just look up. I bet I bet you could find a five-minute clip on YouTube of Mo Salah dives. <laughs> so I don't know if he's uh, Jack Grealish bad, but he's Mo Salah. I saw multiple posts over the weekend of, I don't know why Liverpool's freaking out. Let's watch this clip. And there's like just clip after clip of Mo Salah uh, taking a little dive. So, yeah. Well, all right, let's throw it back at you. As a yeah. Wolves fan, how did your weekend go? Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, I think you – I at least the, the, the vein of Wolves fans that I listen to, that I follow on Twitter, I think are rather, like, optimistic and um, – uh, yeah, we're a, uh, it's a bunch of people who really believe we can be in the top six discussion and, and maybe should be, should maybe a little strong. Um, so if you are, then you should be able to compete against the best. So um, so not just your place in the table, but also the, the competition against those, those top teams. And to be fair, their first two seasons in the Premier League, I think we beat Man City twice last year. Um, we barely lost to, to Liverpool. We played the top teams well. Um, so going into this match, especially with Liverpool having as many injuries as they had, 
um, starting their third string keeper. Um, I really felt like we had a chance, even without Raul in the lineup. I thought, I thought there was, there was an opportunity. Um, so, so with that, I mean, also to be fair, I did pick them to lose. I just thought it'd be a much closer, closer match. Um, with that being said, there's a couple, I think, important things that I've been processing. One, the Connor Cody mistake, because it was a mistake. Like he went to chest that ball and it like glanced off him wrong and went right to Sala for the goal. And that's clearly a mistake. I mean, Cody pulls mm-hmm. his jersey over his head. Like he mm-hmm. is like he is flustered. He's frustrated. He makes an error and he he he's pretty steady. Like he's a steady um presence back there. He's their captain. He's the guy you hear chirping all the time. And so I think that goal definitely because Wolves had some chances early on. Like it was a back and forth match all through the first half. The first half was yeah. super close. I mean, it's one yeah. nil and a half, right? So um uh a one nil on a mistake. And uh Kellner made amazing saves. Uh Potence had a little chip shot up into the corner that yeah, was close. he gets to um, then Donker has a header that he misses. Um, uh, there's, there were op- wolves had opportunities to score. It wasn't like they were totally out of it. They played a more attacking lineup, which I was exciting to see. And it was, it was an exciting first half. So I, I just think like psychologically your captain who really like guides the team, he's like frustrated at a mistake and then you're without your your best player. And I think both of those things, once that second goal went in, because that second goal was scored 40 seconds after Cody just missed a tap in on his side. So the ball mm-hmm. kind of falls to him. He slides down, tries to get to it. And then um, Liverpool breaks on the counter and ends up scoring. And so um, I think, I think, once that was, once that goal went in the game, the, the game was over and you saw it, but so I, I was, I was actually like pleased with the first half. Um, but the second half was just really hard to watch and you saw their, their body language and their hustle and they were chasing guys down the pitch. I mean, it was, it was, it was really hard to watch in the second half. So, yeah. so all that to say, I've been pretty discouraged, um, and kind of just wondering like, what, it, what does it mean for wolves for the, for the rest of this season, especially having with a December as, as challenging as a December as they have ahead of them. Um, do they try and replace Raul in the January transfer window? I don't know. I would lo- I like the adventure of seeing like trying different guys out and not counting it as a lost season, but taking advantage of, this time and saying, let's try a couple different lineups um, and see what happens. So let's give the young guys a shot and see if they can find some consistency and some op- some, some offense if they want to truly play that way. Traditionally they played with kind of five in the back and they just work off the counter. That's how they beat city. That's how they played Liverpool tough. So um, I'd like to see them try a couple things. I think at the same time though, Nate, like it, don't don't be so discouraged as a fan. Like understand you played Liverpool. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason they're Liverpool. They're defending champs. They're playing great again this year now, even though they're incredibly beat up, but it's still Liverpool and they're still one of the best clubs in the world. Like I don't really hang my hat that hard on that kind of a loss. It's not losing to Liverpool. It's losing four nil. And I, and, and it's like that dashed hopes, right. Where you're like, I think like this should be a good match. I still think we'll lose. Like in my prediction league, I picked wolves to lose two to one. Like I didn't think we would beat Liverpool at Anfield, but I did think it would be much closer and to see the fragility of the team. I think like seeing how fragile it was, like once we were down two nothing, it was quickly four nothing. Right. And so those are the things that it's like, Oh man, we're not, we're not quite where we want to be or long to be. So, well, those are my thoughts, Kyle on wolves. Um, 
give us your rundown on Liverpool. Where, where do they fall in the golden boots? Let's do it. All right. So first we're going to look at infrastructure. So again, this is owner manager. Also more than that, it's, it's what does the team have as a foundation to succeed going forward? Uh, Are they built on good footing or is it a little bit shaky? So uh, just some history there. They were founded actually as a result of a dispute between the Everton board and the owner of Anfield Stadium. So Everton actually had to relocate and Liverpool was originally called Everton Athletic before rebranding as Liverpool. So some some interesting history there. Um, But really, as we go forward, they've had lots of success right in the middle of the 20th century. Went through a little bit of a drought before obviously coming back with some a lot of recent success. I mean, they won the Premier League last year, have had a ton of, of current success and, and seemingly have great leadership. They're owned by John Henry, who also uh, American sports fans will know as the owner of the Boston Red Sox, who's by all accounts been a great owner for the Red Sox, seemingly a great owner for Liverpool, um, has lots of resources. So really good footing there. And then as we all know, managed by Jurgen Klopp, who is a really interesting guy as well as a great coach. So Nate, I know you like Jurgen a lot. I love him. Any thoughts on him? He just seems, he seems to be one of the most genuine and, and likable managers. Like he, I think you get a lot of, I think, Jose can also be described as genuine. He's just kind of genuinely a pompous ass right? <laughs> where Jurgen yeah. is like genuine and likable and seems to be kind and thoughtful. And um, that's all kind of off the pitch type personality. Trait. Right. And then obviously tactically he's brilliant. He, I think he really respects his opponents and, 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 and cares about the game. And so, I'm a, I'm a huge Jurgen Klopp fan. I mean, he's, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. And in my opinion, that off the field stuff, uh, if you have that in place, that leads to longer lasting results on the pitch. Yes. If you're a good coach as well. Right. So you can be a good coach and have immediate success on the pitch. But if you have your life as a mess off the pitch or a year, a jerk off the pitch that success is only going to last so long. And I think maybe we've seen that with Jose, right. Going back to last week where he's, he can win right away and then it kind of ta- tailors off. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're a guy like Jurgen who's thoughtful and considerate and kind off the pitch, I think that has a lot more lasting appeal. Uh, you know, as if you can coach as well, which apparently he can. Yeah. So I'm with you, man. Uh, for infrastructure, five golden boots. Really like what I see there from Liverpool, um, as well as their ability to sustain the success going forward. Culture. All right. So they play at Anfield Stadium, which has been around since 1891, or they've been playing there since 1891. The stadium is actually quite a bit older than that, being built in 1884. And so really an old stadium, especially for such a big club, they had plans to, to tear it down, build a shiny new stadium. But when John Henry came in and bought it, he actually scrapped those plans and decided to renovate Anfield instead. So again, as an American sports fan, knowing that he owned the Red Sox, very similar story, right? Very old stadium. Uh, many people thought it was going to be replaced and instead John Henry said, no, let's reinvigorate the area around it. Let's renovate the stadium and use this to our advantage to build our culture around it. And I think that they're doing something very similar in Liverpool, which is really neat. I think. Uh, Also under culture, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, they are maybe most well-known for the song they sing during every match, which is You'll Never Walk Alone, um, which is just a really, really, really cool tradition. I think it builds a lot of culture. It's obviously the envy of a lot of other 
teams, not only in soccer, but sports teams around the globe who have adopted and or stolen, if you will, <laughs> that tradition. And um, so again, really cool, really makes you feel like you're a part of that culture and um, the team itself. And, and that's a really neat thing. I would be remiss if I didn't mention, however, as part of culture, they have these two disasters that are a part of their history, yeah. right? The Hazel state, the Hazel stadium disaster and the Hillsborough disasters, which are tragic events that killed over 120 fans. And that's a real part of their culture as well. And so as someone who's looking to adopt a team, it honestly feels a little bit weird. Uh, if I were to imagine myself being a Liverpool supporter to kind of fall into that culture, not that, um, it's just, it's just a weird thing. I don't really know how to describe it other than if I were to select the team with, with those, with that history, it's, it's a little bit odd. Um, and so I do got to knock them a little bit for that. I like a lot of the stuff they have, but again, it, it just feels a little bit weird to just jump into that. So three golden boots for culture. Moving on to big strikers. All right. So in terms of talent, it doesn't get much better than the big three that they have with Sala, Yoda, and Maine. Really dynamic, talented group there. Uh, but if you were to stack those three guys on top of one another, I'm not sure that they could even dunk a basketball. And so it's, we're looking for big, imposing guys, and they just don't add up. So only two golden boots for their big strikers. Kits and sponsors. Listen, Nike. big marks here, big marks here. The home kit is the classic all reds. It's really sharp. Um, and then what I didn't realize before when we were doing our kit preview at the beginning of the year, I went back and looked and their away kit is that teal camo. I don't remember what I said about it at the time, but on further reflection, I actually think it works really well. I actually like it. Um, their third kit's this black checkered look, and it's really nice. I think it maybe is the best third kit in the whole league. I, I really liked it. So I think I overlooked their kits when we were doing the, the overview. They're made by Nike. Their sponsor is something called Standard Chartered. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not too distracting. Um, so the second perfect score here, five golden boots for kits and sponsors. That actually puts them boys with the most golden boots of any club so far. Not a surprise. Now, in, in some ways, yeah, I not a surprise. Go ahead. Um, in some ways, I think their strikers could probably be given more, more points because of their prolific no scoring abilities but i understand you want yeah. a big tall big uh big guy but um and just to help a neophyte it's jota and mane so just helping with the pronunciation there it's hard you got so many different Listen. languages i'm not faulting you i'm just helping i correct chris almost every every week i was gonna say our longtime listeners at this point know that I've mispronounced a name every single week. So. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's hard, but um, I still can't pronounce Pulisic correctly every time. <laughs> that's yeah. true. That's true. That's um, why I just call Christian. Yeah. So <laughs> real, real, real quick. So in terms of tiers, right there, they have the most golden boots. They don't really fit into the, what has thus far been the, the top tier because that, that was more for those clubs that look really good out of the gate, but we're not sure if they're the real thing. So we had to create a new tier. Oh. And I was fully prepared to put them in the Landon Donovan tier, which is I admit you're good, but I still don't like you tier. <laughs> uh, and so, but I didn't want to put them in there. I actually found myself liking them, right? Yeah. Despite some of the awkwardness. Uh, I like their infrastructure. I like watching them. I like their kids. I like their history. Other than, you know, the little bit of awkwardness with the, the tragic events that that are in their history but uh, i like them a lot and so i put them in the tim howard tier which is Ooh. just an all-around solid um really good player and someone who uh as an american i've always liked and i really like liverpool so tim howard tier 
I will just remind you um, of the of the rules, though the football neophyte rules that you signed on to coming on. Yeah. Here, that. Yep. You cannot choose the the team that wins, and yep. naturally, you shouldn't choose a team that gets relegated. <laughs> so, so should yeah. Liverpool advance well down the way, you might awkwardly be rooting against your own team at the end of the season in order to choose them later on. That's right. We'll see. We'll see. And again, of course, the amount of golden boots you get doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to select you, but uh, it was a favorable taste to my palate. I don't blame you. Man City early on, I really liked Man City. Like, and they faded away pretty quickly. So it happened. But enough about Wolves and Liverpool. Uh, Chris, Yo. your lads had a had a good second half. You guys had like the opposite situation. <laughs> yeah, right. It was the flip. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it was uh it was a good Saturday morning uh after the first 45 minutes ended. Um it was kind of a weird man you lineup and uh Ole was trying to rest some of the guys. So he actually didn't start Fernandez, he didn't start Bruno, yeah. didn't start Rashford, um both for injury reasons and he was hoping not to use them. Um <laughs> but after 45 minutes it was an absolutely dreadful display of soccer. Um so he had to put the engine back out on the field. Um, and I mean, it really, it really was like putting an engine in a car that didn't have an engine before. Um, because I mean, it was just such a different half of football in the second half. <clears throat> Bruno just creates so much out there. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, he, I think he did get one assist on the first goal. Um, and then he had two hockey assists on the other two goals that went in. So I know they don't count those in, uh, in, in football. Uh, but you know, I mean, he creates so much out there and when he's not there, it's a glaring hole that, that is so easily recognized. Um, so good, good second half. I mean, they dominated it. They put three goals in, um, one of them was an absolute beauty that Ole actually used his subs at half uh, for the most part. And then he brought Juan Mata in late and Mata had an absolutely beautiful assist. Um, it, it was the three substitutes who combined for it. So it was Fernandez <laughs> to Mata to Rashford and Rashford put a nice little beautiful move on the keeper to go over him. Uh, beautiful goal, but it was the three subs who came in and kind of sealed the deal. But uh, yeah, it was a good game. It was fun for 45 minutes. It was just awful for 45 minutes. And at least uh, the fun 45 was the ones that counted. Yeah. Uh, I still think West Ham is a, I don't really know what they are team. Like, you know, they were top five going into this game and uh, coming out of it, they played okay for 45 minutes against a good squad that didn't have their best players out there. So yeah. And then once their best players got in, they, they got ran off the field. Um, so yeah, interesting, uh, on the, you know, the Manchester United side, they're right where they need to be. They're probably better than, you know, if you go back and listen to this pod a few weeks ago and we were making fun of them, laughing at them, which they deserved. Um, they're sitting, I think they're in fifth or sixth now, uh, still with that game in hand. And if, you know, you've, if they had a win in that game in hand, they'd actually be in third. So third or fourth or tied for third. So, you know, back up at the top where they need to be, I still, there's still issues there. And I'm sure we're going to go into them here in just a second, especially after today's news that came out with Pogba. Um, this week is probably their biggest week of the early season in that they need a point tomorrow against Leipzig to move on in the Champions League because uh, PSG beat them last week 3-1. Um, and then the Manchester Derby is this weekend. And so it's probably the biggest week of always manager managerial career at this point, um, because it's a big deal to move on in the champions league. And so they need that point. Worst case scenario, you need a point, uh, best case scenario, you go out and you win again, like they did the first game. Uh, and then you're going home and you're playing your Derby that everyone's going to be watching this weekend. It's a big game. Yeah. And man, Manchester United, I mean, we talked about home and away situations, but they, they played great on, on the road. I think they have five wins out of five or six out of six on the road, something like that. And 
have been abysmal at home. So it'll be interesting to see if they can turn that around. Uh, Yeah. One, one win at home (laughs) and it was last week's win. And then um, I think, I think they are actually at nine straight premier league road victories. Um, The all-time records 11. So they're on the heels of that all-time record there for whatever reason, they are terrible at home and good on the road. It makes no sense, but neither does 2020. <laughs> um, so the news broke today. Paul Pogba's um, agent came out and said he doesn't want to play. He's not going to play, and he wants to be transferred in January. Um, he has mm. a year and a half left on his contract, and he's basically saying, like, if you want to get anything from him, you need to do it in January. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I almost don't care. Um, I'm not, I am not an, a long enough Manchester United fan to have seen his good days with the club. I am a long enough Manchester United fan to see the frustration days. And so, um, he scored a beautiful goal. He did. I forgot he was even on the team until I saw him score that. Well, he's basically been getting no playing time. They finally played. I think, Ole felt like he probably had to play him with Bruno and Rashford being out. You, you gotta have some kind of creator out there. Um, but you know, he was injured the previous three matches with an ankle injury. Um, so he missed those three games and then, um, played pretty sparingly in games before that. It's clear there's something between him and Ole that just isn't clicking or working. Uh, but you see a goal like he scored the other day and you're like, Holy crap. I forgot that this guy can do anything on the pitch he just usually doesn't do anything on the pitch. And so it's super frustrating, um, especially when, you know, like ESPN top 100 and he's rated like the eighth best midfielder in the world. And I'm like, what have you been watching for a year and a half that would justify that rating? Because I told you to stop reading the ESPN articles. I know. I just, I, I like rankings. Like it doesn't matter who creates a ranking. I like seeing rankings. They're fun. And, uh, but yeah, it's like, what have you been watching? He has one goal in the last year and a half. That was his second goal in the last year and a half, almost two years this past weekend. And you're saying he's one of the eight best midfielders in the world. Like, and he's been atrocious on defense since I've been watching. And so again, he, his rap is that he's a pretty moody guy. Like that's kind of his rap. Like he can be insanely fun. They say when he gets with, when he gets with the French team, he's like the most fun, popular guy on the entire French team. And like all the club spends every like free minute they have hanging out in his room, playing video games with him, like hanging out, doing whatever soccer players do. And then he comes back to Manchester United and he's just this total mystery and you never know what you're going to get. And, you know, usually it's really bad defense and a couple of like, passes that almost got there um so it's like i mean for me to not have this attachment to him i'm like what are you gonna get in the transfer window for him and but apparently he's still a a very well respected player around the world and maybe they can pull something for him so why not i mean either play the guy or ship him out yeah you can't, can't have a guy of that caliber making that much money sitting on your bench 70 minutes a day and playing 20 minutes. Like it just, it makes no sense. It's not good for anybody. So either figure out why there's a managerial conflict and fix that and get him the playing time he needs and get him back to being the playmaker he was before he got there. Um, Or let him move on and let him rejuvenate his career. However he wants to do it and get something in return. Well, and I think that's part of, that could be part of it, right? Is if there's a managerial conflict, part of the question might be, is Ole going to be there much longer, right? So if they're trying to decide like between Ole and and Pogba, that does make it a bit more challenging of a, uh, of a situation. Because I agree. I mean, at face value, it's like they could get a lot, they could get a lot for him. He's 27 years old. He's got years ahead of him. So it's not like he, he won't go for nothing. Right. So I think that the agent throwing out the gauntlet makes sense. Like you need to do it now. Cause if you don't, we'll just go for free. We'll wait out our year and a half and be a cancer. Um, but, 
but you do wonder if part of it's like, well, we need to see what Ole can do. Cause if we sack Ole, maybe there's someone else out there, Pochettino or whoever else that would get the best out of Paul Pogba. So, yeah, I, I think that, that maybe that gives me a little bit of hope because I'm still not parting Ole for anything. Uh, I think yeah. he's in over his head and he's not a good manager for this squad. Yeah. Um, but it is funny that, you know, six months ago, the reports were how happy he is at Manchester United and they're working on a contract extension. And it's just, it's the fickle nature of the sport and of just professional sports in general, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what plays out. Yep. All right. A couple other things uh, that are notable. Um, Sheffield United, I saw this stat that Sheffield United, with the worst start in Premier League history after 11 matches, one point. I mean, I just don't even, it's hard to explain. Although I, I should say one, one stat that I found interesting when I was looking at the table this morning, they have 10 losses, but their goal differential is only negative 13. So just using math for math's sake, their average loss is by 1.3 goals, which is rather a small amount for a team that hasn't won a game. Like it means they've lost a lot of, uh, of close matches. I don't know if they can turn that around at all, but um, that, that, that was a surprising fact for me about Sheffield United, but they're in, they're in bad shape. You know, what's crazy is I'm looking at their results. <clears throat> Every game they've played this year has been a one goal game, except for the four, one loss to Chelsea. That's that is crazy. I mean, it makes you, it does make you wonder if they could pull out of it. I mean, if it's that, if their start has really been that bad. Yeah. It's their defense is holding up. I mean, their defense is giving up like one or two goals a game. <clears throat> it's their offense that's failing them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of clean sheets against them. A lot of one goals. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Sun and Kane. That partnership just continues to produce dividends. Um, that Sun goal, we were Ooh. watching that. Um, Titus's team is Arsenal. He was very sad, very <laughs> sad. That Sun goal from distance was just Ooh. a strike. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And at the same time, I'm going to say shame on you, Arsenal, for the defense on that was maybe about as bad as I've ever seen. He brought the ball up almost the whole way, a little bit from before center field, brought it up. And when he turned in towards the goal, the defenders backed off of him. Yeah. I, like, I think it was Hector Bellerin and he, he could have like closed that gap that son shot through and he like moved away from it. I mean, it was very weird. It was awesome. all the way around, but that is not to take away from that amazing strike that he put on that was awesome that was a great goal well and then not too much longer later Kane thunder strike into the bottom of the <laughs> top crossbar I mean just a massive strike yeah it yeah was that one reminded me of how my one and a half year old son throws the ball at me as hard as he can even though he's two feet away from me <laughs> totally <laughs> That that Kane goal was the exact opposite of Warner's goal, Warner's no goal oh. in, in the Chelsea match. His where he saved, where he had like a brilliant goal line save. Yeah, against his teammate, and then kicks it into the top of the post, and it doesn't go in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But you know what did go in this weekend? A Christian Pulisic goal. <laughs> Finally, American watch worthy to talk about Christian Pulisic opens his account, right? For the season. Is yep. that his first goal? Yep. Yeah. First goal of the season. Uh, Lampard, I was reading up on his press conference. We're, we're going to see whether Lampard is just all talk or not, because he's, 
he's talking about how he is going to rely heavily on Christian going forward. And that in this game, the, the plan was to give him about 30 minutes just to make sure he was good. Um, but the early injury forced him in early and then he played 60 and uh, looked good for 60, had, had a bunch of chances, got it, you know, scored his goal towards the end of the game. Uh, but we're going to see if, if Lampard can finally get rid of his American bias and actually play this kid. I think he will. I yeah, think. that's that's right. I, I was going to ask, do we think that this is a statement on Pulisic's actual talent? Or is it just more that he hasn't been healthy and he hasn't had a chance to really fit in with the club at this point? This season, I would say it's been health. Um, Last year, start of the year, it was the same crap, but he was healthy and he just sat on the bench for a long time. And then once he started getting playing time, it was like, (laughs) yeah, okay, this kid's really good. Um, And he was one of the better players um, in, in the restart especially for Chelsea. He was Chelsea's best player for sure. Um, but he was one of the better players in the entire league once the restart happened. Um, so I think they had, they did have big expectations for him going into the season, um, but he got injured right at the end of last year. I think it was in the, in the FA cup final, if I, if I remember right. So um, going into the season, he had an injury and then he aggravated it early on again. Um, so it, it's been injuries this year, I think. Um, we'll know for sure here in the next two weeks. Finally, I think just kind of looking at the table, um, you know, we're seeing in some ways this season where it's felt like things are a bit crazy and um, there've been a lot of different people at the top and different teams all around. And I don't want to slight Southampton because they've continued to look great. They've continued to win good win today. Um Ward Prowse with another great set piece assist. Um, a, a good win for them. Did you see the game winner though? The penalty? Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, I think it was a penalty. Do you think he was in the box when contact happened? I didn't think it from the like initial view, but I don't know if you saw kind of the upper sideline view of when the secondary contact was made. I don't think it was the first contact that gave him the penalty. I think it was the second contact, the first contact where he bumps into him. uh, He's outside the box. Right. But as the play continues into the box, he kicks his leg, I think. And that's where I think the penalty was. So I had the audio off. So I couldn't, I didn't hear what they were saying. I just watching it. My first reaction was he got bumped initially outside the box. Why is he getting a, a, PK for that. Yeah. And I don't know how they determine that. Like if it's a continuation of where does the, the foul start or, and maybe it's because I, I don't think it was a foul to start with. There's just body contact, but then there is a kick to his leg and in, in the box. And so, but all that to say, I think I don't want to slight Southampton in in this statement, but when you look at the table and you've got your top seven, you know, basically are what we would expect in different positions, probably, but not. And with Man U and Man City with games in hand, you know, it's not too hard to to believe that they would be up there in the top four discussion, certainly. And so, um, you know, Arsenal's missing, Southampton's in there. But other than that, it's pretty much the top seven that we've seen for the last few years with Leicester skating around in there a little bit and um even when you look at that upper middle table of west ham everton wolves like that's not super surprising so um i remember being really discouraged as a kid and uh my dad you know about the way one of our my teams was playing and i remember my dad always saying the cream always rises to the top (laughs) and uh i think your dad the macho man no, but that would be <laughs> awesome. Oh yeah, Hogan <laughs> on Saturday night at WrestleMania. Big Macho Man fan. You you know what interview I'm talking about, right? Have you seen Have you seen that? No, I don't think so. Oh. I mean, maybe I have, but I don't know what you're talking about. 
I'll send you the link. It's amazing. He's talking about the cream rising to the crop, and he pulls out this little tiny coffee creamer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's amazing. It's the best interview of all time. Send it to me, and I'll post it in the show notes. Okay. I love it. Um, I, term of the week. I, I heard these guys, this is more of a concept of the week. I'm bringing us another one this week, but I heard the guy commentators talking about it today. Um, I, I like, they were talking about a guy in the match getting his fourth yellow. I don't even know. I was like working and watching and like not really totally paying attention to the match or what they were saying, but they talked about a guy getting his fourth yellow and uh the other guy was like oh yeah save the fifth one for boxing day <laughs> and they kind of talked back and forth about like an unwritten like little like i don't know if it was a not a rule but a like theory or like an unspoken deal among players but so boxing day is the day after christmas we don't celebrate it here it's just words on a calendar for us but they celebrate in the uk and particularly like it's a huge soccer day like boxing day match it's a big deal i don't know if every club traditionally plays but um it's a big it's a big soccer match day or football match day and so uh but the commentators are basically saying like guy they never said it directly so but what they were alluding to is the idea that a guy would get his fifth yellow card the match before boxing day so that he didn't have to play on the day after christmas and i just thought that is that's the funniest crap uh, that's the type of stuff i love like some guy like oh i just gotta get pick up my fifth yellow um in the that match before boxing day I would definitely be doing that. <laughs> I'd be like, I need to take some PTO. What can I do to get a yellow card? There you go. Like, do you look at it? You're like, okay, I got three yellow cards now. I got two games <laughs> to go. I, nah, let's just do it. I'm going yeah. for it. I've got to speak you, you just walk up to the uh, the referee's ear and you start yelling at him and go, just give me a yellow. Give me a yellow. <laughs> I've got plans. I've got, yeah, I got to hang out with my kid. Um, how about assists of the week? Um, we all have something in our notes. So what was your guys' favorite assist of the week? Um, I, my favorite was Mattis. Mattis assist on the uh, Rashford goal. Um, it was very similar to the one that you liked a lot. Yeah. Um, I'll let you say yours, uh, but I'm going with Juan Mata to Marcus Rashford. It was a beaut. Yeah, mine is uh, Calvin Phillips to uh, Bamford. Just the the perfect through ball, you know, from half from half the field away. Um, Bamford takes it in stride, kind of goes around the keeper and scores. So um, I just thought it was a brilliant a brilliant pass. Two things I loved on that one: the pass the pass was awesome, uh, but on the replay. They, they have a camera behind Phillips and he literally starts celebrating as Bamford is going past the keeper before he even shoots and still has a defender on him. You see Phillips going like, yeah, I saw that. That was cool. That, that was a great thing. One thing I didn't like, and this is why I didn't actually end up choosing it. Not just because you chose it. Um, I think it was a, a pretty bad misplay by Mendy. He kind of, he got uh -huh. caught in no man's land and stutter stepped and kind of, really questioned himself i think if he would have just attacked the ball without without stuttering he actually probably would have just kicked it away um but it made the goal even that much better um so yeah no it was it was a beaut i went with the crystal palace match patrick van anelt uh to christian benteke it was this it was an interesting assist he chased it down about 10 feet from the goal going out of bounds and was able to run hard, chase it down before it went out of bounds and kick it backwards at this really awkward angle with a lot of finesse and touch. 
about only about 10 yards, maybe not even uh, to Christian Benicki, who was able to knock it in. I just thought the effort and the angle looked like it took a ton of skill. Um, so I was really impressed with that one. Yeah, I got a runner up too, um, just because it should be mentioned. And maybe you mentioned it earlier, uh, but another Ward Prowse set piece. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Yannick Vestergaard header was awesome. So good. He, Ward Prowse just puts it where he wants it. It's crazy. Hey, Kyle, have you already done Southampton? Let me check that out. Okay. I don't think he has. No. Oh my gosh, you are gonna blow your load when you see Yannick Vestergaard. But he's not a striker, though. Yeah, but he's a giant. I mean, he, oh yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. He's always down there on set pieces because he's like six nine or something like that. So he's huge. Yeah, I'm about that. If you're down there on set pieces, you know, ready to knock it in with your head, right. I can I can get behind that. You're gonna love him. Yeah, Vestergaard's that classic defender who comes up on a set piece and is just there for his massive dome to just drive one in. I love that. He's everything Harry Maguire wishes he was. All right, let's go and take a look at our Lock It In review. Uh, I picked Southampton over Brighton. Maybe a questionable penalty in the box, but I'll take it for the victory. Uh, Chris... Made a very bold move. <laughs> took City over Fulham. He, I told you guys, if you can pick against Fulham, do what Kyle does. That's right. Kyle should have done that. He took Leeds over Chelsea, which was an ill-fated, which does lead me to just make a little comment about Chelsea. I mean, I, I know we talked Christian a little bit already, but um they just they continue to look good. They're performing well. They're being the teams they need to beat. We'll see how they do as they start to to get into a little tougher part of their their lineup, but or their schedule. But Chelsea towards the top of the table. Yeah, and uh, Giroud scored five goals this week between the Champions League game and the Premier League game. Four goals in that that uh, Champions League game. Amazing. Yeah. All right, who do you guys got this week uh, for your your lock it in? Well, I'm you know I'm still in the mindset that I'm catching up, even though I've been on a nice little run here lately. Um, so as long as I can pick against Fulham and they're playing someone that is above 16th place, I'm taking that someone. So Liverpool over Fulham, I'm taking the easy way out again. I literally was sitting there like looking at the schedule, trying to pick a a lock that was not so easy. And I was so discouraged still about wolves losing that. I was like, F it. I'm picking Liverpool over Fulham. I need a win. Kyle. Well, I, I bet my paycheck every single week that Fulham will lose. So I choose to choose a different game in my lock of the week, but (laughs) This week, Chris, listen up. Are you listening? I'm listening. I'm riding the good feelings with United. Get Pogba out of here. I don't care. We don't need you. Man U over Man City. Let's go. I love it. And I'm absolutely terrified for that game because Man City is ripping right now. Yeah, they're they're putting it together. De Bruyne, he's healthy. He looks good out there. He just is so – he's so good. That team is so good. They still don't even have Aguero. I know. That team is so good. And then when De Bruyne is healthy, they just – he makes that whole team click. So, speaking of that match, uh, I think pretty unanimous, unanimously match of the week to watch is Manchester Derby, Man U, Man City. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's must watch. What I think I heard – Shoot, I wish I knew exactly what it was. It's like the 186th Manchester Derby, something like that. So, obviously, lots of history. It helps when you play a team twice in a season, potentially three times if you face in a if a, in a cup clash. But uh, that's the match to week to watch. There are a couple other derbies: Wolves, um, Aston Villa, 
I actually do think that'll be rather, rather entertaining uh, match to watch. Um, so. It's the 182nd Manchester Derby. There it is. And Manchester United has won 76 of those matches. City. How many? How many has City won? City has won 54. Which is rather rather high for how. I mean, Man Manchester United has dominated for most of the last few decades, and Man yeah. City has only just recently come into prominence. So, well, that'll be the match to watch, gentlemen. Kyle, who are you focusing on this week? So this week, I had just obviously reviewed Liverpool. Mm. And so this week, I thought it was only appropriate to check out the team that they kicked out of Anfield Stadium. I'm going to be looking at Everton versus Chelsea. It's also an excuse to watch Christian Pulisic. There you go. (laughs) I'm sure you'll feature Southampton when they play Chelsea. That's right. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, here's to hoping for better results over the weekend. After that, uh, matches come fast and furious. So we'll be probably covering multiple matches uh, moving forward after this. But enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next week. See you, boys. Later. Glazers are out. There it is. Okay.